Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcons from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Frot Nehru. Hello, hello, people of the universe. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. So we have two films this week on Film Fight Club. We are covering The Disciple, which is currently streaming on Netflix, and Papa Lorraine's Emma, which is currently screening in cinemas. We mentioned we may be covering Army of the Dead this week, but thanks to no previews, sadly, we will not be covering Army of the Dead this week. Yeah, we'll do it. Because the previews are dead. Yeah, um... For some reason, Netflix decided not to release this one in cinemas in Australia, despite releasing everything previously that has gone theatrical in the US over here. And this is their biggest theatrical rollout ever in America. But they bothered to get a classification, so I'm wondering what happened there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they registered on the classification board that it was coming out on the 13th of May, and then the the release failed to materialize. So I guess someone got cold feet for whatever reason. Was it Friday the 13th, was it? Uh, was the 13th of Friday? Was, was that the release date? No, it was the th- Thursday the 13th. Uh, it was close. close. It was Friday close. the 14th. That would have been cool. But, but it is uh, going to be streamed on Netflix. We're continuing our Netflix coverage next week with Army of the Dead. Yeah, so. and uh, continuing the, the back-to-back Zack Attack after Justice League. It feels like just weeks ago. I've got another one. I I love that. I'm going to use that somehow. <laughs> but uh, before we get into the reviews of this week, we're going to talk briefly News of the Week, Static Vision, which had a successful Dreamscapes Festival last week at Pink Flamingo in Marrickville, are having a encore screening of Paprika, a retrospective, this Thursday. Chris and I went along. It was I had a great time there. It's a cool venue, cool environment, a lot of interesting film people from around Sydney. Great use of the space. They had a, a um, area that wasn't used in uh, the Mothership Studios that hosts Pink Flamingo last year, which they'd opened up into an indie game space. Um, some very trippy kind of light and music stuff there. Um, great use of the space, great community atmosphere, awesome festival. Well done once again, guys. Yeah, good, great emerging f- group of filmmakers. Um, also the space, I went there last pr- week before for the exhi- beautiful exhibition. There's always exhibitions there. The one that was there beautifully complemented the gaming and else that was on. So check out that or on Thursday or otherwise check out what they've got coming up on their Facebook page and website. Um, the South sorry, the South African Film Festival Australia conti- is continuing online until the 24th where there will be a screening of Barricat in person in events in Nusbonda Junction and in Melbourne for the closing night of the festival. Um, the Antenna Documentary Film Festival and SF3 The Smartphone Film Fest have events this Saturday. The Australia Silent Film Festival has an event on Sunday. The Sequel-a-thon, the third monthly one, is taking place at the Chippewa Hotel where you can submit basically anything you want, a short film you've been working on, get it voted on, and the one that gets the most votes gets to come back. Though other filmmakers can come back as well, but they get to come back and are encouraged to make a sequel to the whatever film they made for the following month. Yeah, that's on the 25th. That's the 25th on Tuesday. Yeah, tomorrow. Uh, oh, yeah, it's tonight. I, I just got caught in a, a time loop and was going to recommend the Ritz's open screen event, which is on which right will, now which if you're listening to us out. on the radio. Which is why we're pre-recording this. That's so right. If you want to come see how to film Fight Club, we'll be the whirling ball of fists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if you, you live around the corner from the Ritz or something, you may still be able to catch us. Yeah, it's Ritz's first open mic film night. That's It oh, starts at seven, but we'll be continuing. So if you're literally at like backcountry listening to us, just go across the yeah, road yeah, and yeah. no one's going to mind if you get a late ticket. Yeah. Um, I, but, you know, I'm sh- sure it'll be on again. It sounds like they've had a great response to it. And uh, here's to more support for emerging filmmakers around Sydney. And on that note, and lastly, 
for Astro Magic Films around the country, but also in Melbourne, Filmonic Melbourne, the sister cell for Kino Sydney, have their open mic film night next Thursday. So you can stream and go online. And you can, if you're, even if you're a Sydney filmmaker, you can still get your flicks in. But for now, we're talking about The Disciple. It is the new film from Chaitanya Tamhane, um, the director, and is executive produced by Alfonso Cuaron. It is starring Aditya Modak and is in a Madari, Marathi language film, excuse me. And it is set in, in and around Mumbai. And very simply, it is about a musician who is striving over the course of his life to be the best and exceptionally good at what he does. What do we think? I, I really liked it, mainly because Tom Hane is a young filmmaker. This is his second film. The first one was caught about six years ago. It's taken him six years to come up with a second feature. He's really actually a filmmaker who's more sort of interested in mood and atmospheric style of filmmaking, which uh, in Indian cinema is not really prevalent as much. So from that perspective, it's got a more Western sensibility and he really takes his time to set up the scene. A lot of it is repetitive, but I feel it's by design because it's meant to make you feel, kind of get lost in that universe and it comes back in a certain kind of time loop and structurally also it is repetitive to that nature. To clarify, this is about a singer of Indian classical music. Yes, so yeah. it's a, about a singer of Indian classical music who's trying to basically uh, impress his uh, guru, but he can never live up to that standard. So it's about basically then, that struggle in that sense about he is good. It's not bad. He's very good. It, I, oh, would, yeah. um, I thought when I was watching it of Inside Lewin Davis, um, though, yeah, this movie might be even more brutal. <laughs> the, yeah. But, um, you know, the, the, the title The Disciple makes a lot of sense. It's about someone who's always in the shadow of the great ones in his mind. Um, somebody who maybe doesn't have what it takes to really break through despite being obsessively devoted to practice. And um, it's a simple and not a theme that you don't often see a lot. And also one that is confronting usually the mm. controlling idea of a film is something that is happy or that you can move beyond or aspire towards. The dream, here. you're going to make it. That's that's why I thought of Inside Lewin Davis, you know, one of the only other recent films yeah. that's covered this kind of territory of, you know. The, the, what the if story. you don't? What if you don't? Um, and I found this to be a very sad film. A very powerful and relatable. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I'd like to talk about what I really liked about this before I think, talk about some of my misgivings with the film. My favourite scenes, and there are several of these throughout, um, there are many beautiful sequences where a very talented performance, including the lead, play beautiful music, um, which I have largely been exposed to, so I was thankful for that. But I loved the crowd shots, and there are so many of people just sitting there and following along. People who are, are rhythmic, or maybe not so much, and maybe musicians or not, but just love this music and absorb themselves in it. I go to a lot of rock gigs, and you, you will watch, watch any rock gigs, and people are jumping, not at the moment because of COVID, but they're jumping around having a great time, and this is the equivalent of that, but it's much more sound. It's, mm. it's, it's own way very contemplative, and I really liked that. It had yeah. the atmosphere of a rock concert without the um, just very, um, by design, a consuming air. Well, it's it's very trance-like music, and it's about a, a guy who's trying to enter into the world of the music by sort of forcing himself into trance-like states while not quite getting there. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I really like the way that the uh, musical performance scenes are shot, where it's it's uh, filmed from a distance and it's very patient. Um, I, I also felt like the rhythms of the the kind of droning uh, music were. were 
woven really well into the edits with some of the transitions between scenes or the or the scenes of him driving around at night listening to the words of his guru's guru, his father's yeah. guru. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, I think that that's very interesting in that sense because, you know, we get a lot of films where what is uh, this theme of what is it is means to be an artist and this kind of philosophical contemplation about, you know, uh, what is it to strive for something. But this film does it very intelligently where uh, the scenes of him just, uh, you know, plugging his earphones in and just listening to tapes from the 70s about his guru's guru. Mm. And basically you see this kind of cyclical act of violence almost, you know, where people are kind of uh, oppressed into a lifestyle where they have to strive for excellence when they might not actually have it in them yeah, and to be that excellent. Challenging that idea about, you, you know, you're going to become the, the best at an artistic pursuit. It's usually music that people approach this way through just pure discipline and perseverance when there, there's an intangible element to musical performance. And there's a lot of t- uh, scenes in this film involving characters talking. I'll get to that in a moment, but what are the scenes uh, where that was the focus that I did like, where actually there were cups to this effect, where he'd just be talking to someone and saying, I just need a little while longer. It's going to happen. I just need this time. It'll happen mm. then and willing to make that a sacrifice. And anyone uh, who, whether it's music or else, who has been in that space knows that. And this was a very powerful representation of that. We've talked about that this is a depressing film. It's also a really funny film. Oh, yeah. I, I, I felt like Because the humour just comes out of nowhere because it's so depressing and suddenly it's like, oh, that's really funny. Especially mm. about uh, there is this, uh, you can say, this intangible uh, kind of friction between trying to stay a purist in the classical sense and also then, you know, coming into commercialism. So this kind of yeah. idea where a lot of people who have classical training transition into more popular music and that's frowned upon in the classical world. I guess that's similar in the Western music sensibility as well. People are trained as sopranos in actual classical Western music would not want to transition into popular Il music Divo. per se. You know, not become pop divas essentially. So there is that kind of frowning upon because he thinks of himself as a classical vocalist and he would never sell his soul to become something more popular but then he sees other people who are getting the fame that they want and he kind of wants that too yeah exactly it's really funny to explore that it's um very interesting in the way that it it shows you like i'm a complete outsider to this world and it, it shows you a little bit of how it's working like the the connoisseurs that are sort of um working diligently to keep this shrinking world from going away completely yeah. Um, and uh, the, the, this extreme traditionalist of a lead character in a world that is more and more being taken over by corporate interests. There's a really striking scene in one of his nighttime rides, listening to the guru on his uh, headphones. And uh, he stops and, and looks at these electronic billboards with this, you know, beautiful model type woman, you know, hinting at. It, because there's, there's an ongoing theme of his sexual frustration as well. Yes. It's uh, obviously more explicit in this regard. Right, exactly. So it, there's so much that he's sacrificing <laughs> and so much much that he's fighting against um, in, uh, in the, cha- the inevitable changes happening to India that, you know, he is fighting a lost cause. There's no two ways about it. I mean, it's interesting you brought up that kind of parallel of the changes to India as well because it's set in two timelines. You start in the 90s when the liberalization hasn't really, you know, come to India as much. And then you come to present day and then you see uh, this kind of also a shift in perspective towards classical music because uh, what his own dreams were at some point in time 
haven't been realized or materialized as much and how he can reconcile that with the fact that India has himself seeing its own kind of successes in a very different light as well. So it's in, in a sense, it's using this, uh, you know, artistic theme to talk about, you know, India's progress as well and whether or not what progress really means in that sense. Does it mean what it means to be a sellout and what it means to actually follow something as a dream? Um, I'd like to... I touched a couple of points, but first, um, I'm curious because I don't know, Bharat, maybe you do, how this has been received in India, because we can talk about how it's been received locally, but... It's 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 not because uh, it, it's just uh, not a priority. It, it's not a priority. It's a in slow that, art it's a, film. It's a right? slow it's art going film. to appeal most to the international audience for slow art films, like all slow art films. Right? And for, unfortunately, for a lot of Indian audiences, unless uh, a film gets a lot of festival recognition, the local distributors, uh, unless it's a Bollywood film or you know a commercial mainstream film and in any kind of Indian cinema, don't really have any interest in showcasing it to a broader audience. And because of the pandemic, we didn't really have the Indian film festivals in India as well. So this couldn't be shown even as a festival circuit. But it did well in Venice, where it won the best screenplay, best screenplay and also the Critics' Prize. So mm. I, was, I was thinking it might actually pick up a run and actually do much better than it has, but it has been no publicity from Netflix, which is surprising. It's strange, but I get why Netflix haven't really promoted this film, because it's a film for connoisseurs, right? A film for connoisseurs about connoisseurs. <laughs> On that note, how interesting uh, is the, the material about critics? Yes. You know, it's because it's really... A, a, there, there's a beautiful conversation with a critic that he's having. Fantastic scene. And it's, the, it's a hilarious scene. It's hilarious because the critic's probably not wrong, yeah. but, it's, <laughs> but it's just about different approaches to art. I really like how with it, the, it, the, the spectrum of the story, we get a sense of how it, the industry as it is operates you know the museum pieces the performers the everyone's playing a part it's it's basically like it's, it's like a stage play where everyone's playing their role in in this kind of large theater it's mm. a theatrical performance where everyone knows what the entrance and, and exits need yeah. to be and they have to basically play a part and once the mask slips you suddenly see that they are quite aware of the fact that they're playing a part mm. you yeah. know that they don't actually believe in everything that they're saying they have to put on a farce so it's interesting in that sense i, I appreciate our interest in promoting this particular aspect of the film but look for, for having to watch so many films like Birdman which I otherwise love or The Greatest Showman which I didn't, nearly, nearly didn't like as much which portray critics in a very negative I think very harsh and unfair light I think this handled it comparatively maturely which I very much appreciated and I think it was necessary in this um, to, to show a perspective um, completely opposed to the extremely single-minded devotional one of the protagonist and the critic serves a, a, a good way of doing that yeah, because I, I think it kind of gave you a counterpoint to see that even his single-minded approach is flawed in some and sense. And it's not necessarily universal at all. And, exactly. And, and it could be very easy to make the critic a villain this very easy, but they didn't. And I mm. think that was a good thing. Um, so the, one of the, my biggest misgiving about the film, however... I think was touched on by Varad in the, in the, at the very beginning. There's a lot of great contemplative scenes in this. And I like the approach where characters are engaging with each other. But I think that approach, especially where characters are, where a copy is on one side of this frame because they're on a phone or just because someone's looking across the dinner table at someone, I think it's fine to have some exposition. I think it's fine to relay information this way or relay um, dynamics this way. But it is so repetitive and regular throughout the film. I wish it had been cut down. Chris made the comparison to Inside the World and Day, which I think is a very good comparison point, which Earth had scenes which conveyed similar ideas, but it's either through him walking through the street or being in a different environment or circumstance or doing a performance itself. Obviously, there were many performances in this film. I think 
Roma, which Ron Oso obviously also made, he was the EP on this, has many contemplative scenes. But again, we have an ex- a good, perfect example there of switching up and characters doing a lot of very different things to convey emotion, how they're feeling, where they are. And I like how this film did it. I just wish it didn't take that approach as much as it did. It could have had either switched it up or to that effect been quite a bit shorter. I, I do agree with your point. I see where you're coming from, but I feel like it's, it was important in that sense because you could see the main character had a routine that he had to follow rigorously. And for us to understand that he's in this world of classical music where if he's not doing the things every day, pretty much to the point of being a drone, he it's not going to have that effect. So it's an yeah. affectation that he's going for. But I can see that it could be trying for the viewer. And it actually, I think, I think it's meant to be. It's meant to make you feel yeah, look, a bit exa- exasperated because the world is like that. I mean, as, like, an, as an example, I was getting annoyed by the um, the nighttime drive scenes yeah. and the repetition of them, but then that ended up paying off beautifully. Um, in general, though, I, I do feel like the film is maybe slightly too removed and like partly because of this repetition partly because of the the it's a um, very much a niche film yeah and and at the very long to mid distance with which everything is shot um and you know the timeline jumping around um at at times it's maybe a bit more theoretical than emotive but when the emotion hit for me it really registered so i still think it was a very strong film to be clear i don't actually have too much of an issue with the long driving at night listening to music I appreciated the focus on um, his routine and trying to ingratiate himself within the musical world it was I think, very I think well integrated could, with the music I think they could have cut it down a little bit I didn't take so much issue with my issue was more with um, the scenes that it used to break it up which were so numerous and repetitive and that I, the scene I referred to earlier where he's saying just a little bit longer it was great but I wish it had just been a two way conversation on a phone I think those scenes weren't as creatively framed as the ones mentioned where he is just absorbing himself in the musical world. And just as an aside, uh, the voice that you hear on the tapes, the Guru's Guru's voice, uh, that actor has passed away because of COVID uh, oh, man. Oh, wow. this past month. Damn. So, And uh, his other lead actor from his previous film also passed away because of COVID. So quite a double blow for him. Damn. So, yeah. But anyway, that was on that very tragic, apt, note. depressing note, which is actually, this film is quite depressing. Uh, is The Disciple. Yeah. It's now streaming on Netflix. Check it out. And you're listening to Film, Cl- film Fight Club on 2SCR with Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Edmonds and Virat Nehru. The next film we're talking about is Pablo Lorraine's Emma. It is starring Mariana Di Girolamo, Gal Garcia Bernal and Santiago Cabrera. So this film is about reggaeton. I feel yes. like that's yeah. yeah. I, f- I feel like that's where the that's a really good that's a really good description. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about afterwards about how this idea must have come together, and I feel like it was probably started with the idea of making a film about reggaeton and reggaeton dance. Yeah, um, and it's also about a woman who is separating from her partner after they've adopted a child who has done a few horrific things, and they've given him up. And uh, now she's, they're both, they're fighting over this and having second thoughts about that decision. Um, and he is the artistic director of a dance troupe and she is one of his dancers and 12 years younger than him. And yeah. uh, Two very different movies about artists, essentially. Both, yeah, both films that use music and uh, try to um, edit to music in very different ways, very different yeah. types of music, but they both have conversations about the place of the music and, uh, you know, um, different approaches to art. 
So yeah. it was two good uh, films to for a film fight club double the, feature, I the guess. The dance sequences in this film were actually quite fantastic in terms of choreography and also in terms of expressing emotion because and, each dance sequence had a specific emotional beat to it. Yeah, and, and in the way that they were shot as well and the way that... Um, they were edited into conversation scenes. So sometimes you, you, you're you hearing the rhythm of a piece of music yeah. and uh, we're cutting to the two leads having an argument, for example, yeah. and then suddenly we, we cut back to the dancing. I, but I but actually, also the, I, the, the argument itself and the way the conversations were framed were also musical. Like yeah, I, that's I could right. see, in, I don't understand There's Spanish, motion but going I, could, on. I, I could kind of feel this rhythm. the beat Yeah, in, in terms of the argument that yeah. they had to the, kind of hit the beat. The score by Nicholas Jaw is fantastic yeah, um, i agree yeah great reggaeton music in this uh you it's, know, it's pretty inventive great songs like, it, throughout i mean uh for whatever misgivings uh, i have about the film which there are some yeah i'm thinking in terms of a directorial venture this is doing a lot more inventive stuff in terms of the audio uh, visual kind of style yeah to be which honest i haven't seen this year that's right i'm i'm coming out from the start praising the form of this film because that's what really impressed me. Yeah, the story is not that impressive. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, the camera work is terrific, though I'll say it's maybe a little bit too slick. It reminded me of a high-budget music video um, in that, you know, everything's always kind of center-framed, everything's always spinning, um, technically perfect lighting, um, sometimes like neon kind of tones and like edit, editing with the beat. It has a very music video style. That's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but... In some ways, it's it's a little bit sterile for a movie about such gritty environments. Like, it's very slick. Like, this is a Hollywood-ready film in the way it looks. Yeah, um, I mean, I see what you mean. Because the slickness of the film basically makes it... Uh, the film is, is pretty raw. Yeah. It, it is kind of rough around the edges. Yeah. But the way the treatment works makes makes it feel like this is a much more polished work. Yeah, and exactly. That kind of, and maybe that's not there's right. There's a conflict there which I, I couldn't reconcile with because I'm just like... It was taking me away and out of the film because mm. the conversation scenes are, are quite heavy and intense and the conflict is quite evident. Yeah, that's but, right. But then, then the dance sequences come in, it kind of polishes over them and kind of smooths over them a little. Because mm. it's and like, oh, you know, ah, this is this emotion right now. Yeah, and I feel this emotion, right, and, but up to the max. And I, I feel like um, the dance doesn't need to be filmed in such a music video slick kind of way. Yeah. You can, it, it kind of felt, felt a bit, felt a bit like Vox Lux. And I was like, you know, but yeah. that was doing a very different thing. That was about pop stardom. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the slickness well, of pop yeah. stardom. Whereas this yeah. is a, a film about poor people, right? Yeah. So this was stylistically a extent. big problem. Right. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, when I say it, it's very, it's a bit music video and that's a bit strange. It's very well done music it's video. It's very well done. I feel it like I'd love feels to watch like a different, di- different part of, like, yeah. a different film. But when um, the a lot of the fire imagery started popping up in this, I felt like I was watching Kanye's uh, No Church in the Wild video. Oh. Have you seen that <laughs> one? With a, the stuff, you know, that's showing a riot. Oh, yes. Lots of slow motion yeah, fire yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I was not ha- a fan of the very heavy-handed imagery. I was about to get to that. There, yeah. There's this um, rec- <laughs> recurring symbolism of, of um, Emma putting things on fire. The one time that it, it is relevant to the plot, I could go this with like... This girl is on fire. Yeah, it's uh, it's milking the, <laughs> the, the symbolic nature of this image. And I thought, okay, cool. But then um, it's like, oh, she's just so wild. She's, she, you know, things... She's just setting the world on fire so there's all these like <laughs> shots of her up on a hill putting the I mean, hill on fire and the movie otherwise doesn't use any kind of um extreme symbolism like that and it's yeah. so heavy-handed like <laughs> am i supposed to did she really just torch that hill or is this yeah. just a symbol that was just way too much i mean we're talking about you know movie titles which would fit 
uh, other movies and should probably belong to that. This mm. shouldn't be called Emma. She probably should be called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> <laughs> for the yeah, sorry, sorry, that's taken, mate. <laughs> I know. Okay, on, on the subject of how she puts everything on fire, I, I feel like... Well, what a sentence. <laughs> she is a very... Burn it, to, burn it to the ground. She's a very destructive person, right? I yeah. feel like the idea behind this film is like, oh, she's just so free, like the reggaeton music. But what No, but uh, no, I think I think it's a bit more nuanced. I don't okay. think that nuance comes across. It's the fact that you know female characters can be flawed and they're allowed to burn things to the ground and they don't have to be perfect all the time. Although I feel like this film is glorifying her to some extent, right? Whereas this is like some pretty psychopathic, destructive <laughs> behavior that she engages in. And I feel like the, the, the movies are pretty good ad for her. Like it's, yeah. I mean, she's the late, I mean, which is kind of weird, but I, I, I think I feel like it's fine to depict this kind of messy character, but you know, it almost rings like an endorsement, you know, because it, it's so like the slick commercial imagery and like the pumping music and and look at how cool she is with the flamethrower and stuff. I, I, I would like I maybe would, we need I a more be, ambiguous yeah. depiction of this. I would be more okay with that if I could understand the psychological motivations behind some of her actions. Because which is part of the problem is that yeah, you know, because it just it's feels, set up as a, as a trick reveal. Yeah, you know, a lot of the the weird stuff she's she's up to, like it, oh, it all falls into place in the final action. But no, no, it doesn't. This stuff no. so. So like, huh? Really? That it demanded more okay. psychological I, I, I profiling. Think, I think of her. I think you've you've got to the crux of my problem with the film. Yeah, which was that you know I I hate these trick reveal endings which somehow explain everything, especially yeah. when it is about character motivations. And this mm. one didn't do the job. It doesn't set it up for understanding the character motivations leading up to that. Mm. It, and somehow I'm supposed to be okay with we, everything in the last yeah, act. We, we no. were cheated of some important information. Look, this is a very melodramatic film, but, you know, to me, melodramatic isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Um, it's a style, but people often say melodramatic as, as if that in itself is bad. But I think this is the kind of thing they're talking about in that it's high emotion, high drama, um, over the top, but without the depth that would make melodramatic style work. There's not, as yeah. you say, not much character motivation, not much character depth, and probably way too many things going on in this plot. Like I, I could have used a few less dance and sex montages um, and a bit more yeah. time exploring some of the frankly crazy stuff she gets up to here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's confused between whether it wants to be a Gaspar Noé film or, or maybe, you know, it, a it, Lorraine it's film. It's a similar approach um, in, in some ways with the editing and the neon yeah, colors to what, what Gaspar Noé was which, up to Which um, I'm not against. Uh, if you know Chris and I, we're both fans of Gaspar Noé, so, you know, yeah. don't hold it against us. But, um, but what's it doing in this film? I don't know. Yeah, I, ju I just feel like this is a little bit scattershot. Yeah. But still, I would I would say it's Lorraine's best film in a long time. It's extremely well acted, and you know, I I loved the scene when um, they argue about uh, reggaeton yes. because Bernal doesn't like um, that she's doing that, and and how how I mean, terrible it is versus the more like, both, classical style dance he, he's up to. Both Gail Garcia Bernal and. Uh, and the, the person who plays Emma, which yeah. I've forgotten now. Who's name. not an international superstar. <laughs> yes, who her will name be. is, I've got it, um, Mariana Di Girolamo. Yeah, Mariana. And I'm pretty sure she's going to be a breakout star after She's very film. good. Yeah, she's, she's very good. It doesn't feel like it's her first movie. Yeah, I, oh, wow. I get why or, it's called or, Emma, because yeah. it's very focused around her and the camera loves her face, right? But um, 
that scene where they have that argument, it's a little bit of a cliche in terms of what he says, although that his complaints about reggaeton were, were very funny to me. But the defense they come of it about, no, it's freedom, it's sex, it's being alive. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's so well acted and the music yeah. makes such a good argument that the scene really works. I think uh, for a lot of this film, it's basically carrying uh, on the shoulders of both the leads and, and they have to sell the idea that the they conflict is real. Job. And the conflict is real, but the dialogues behind the conflict, which is supposed to be substantiating some depths to it, uh, are not there. Hmm. So like you, you think of you, what you take away from the film after a while is this kind of very impressionistic style. Mm. And in, in that sense, it's I think the disciple, disciple and Emma are quite similar. They're both mood over... You know, and being driven and, and and by story. the very different moods yeah. of their respective styles of music that they've built the film around. Exactly. So, in a way, we didn't plan it, but it seems to be that this is yeah. a complimentary episode about you know music styles. I, yeah, I, I preferred The Disciple of the two films, for sure. Yeah. Um, Emma is basically a film I'd recommend uh, almost entirely on the based on the formal approach to it, the material. It's still, as still a good to film to go and see in the cinemas, actually. Like, yeah, you know, because there's some a genuine visual spectacle here. Visual spectacle, the audio is used beautifully. So from an yeah. audiovisual dynamic in terms of how the direction works and what you can do with the visual medium, and it's a good film to actually study. And we're so deprived these days of films that are... Yeah, shot, from reverse an, shot. Yeah, yeah that films that are interesting from an audiovisual perspective. Um, yeah. So... On that note, I recommend Yeah, from it. a formalistic point of view, go and see it. Yeah, uh, just yeah, the plot has some... Be prepared for a weak story dressed up with a lot of style. Yeah, which is okay. Yeah. So Emma is screening in cinemas now. Disciple is streaming on Netflix. We'll be back next week talking another Netflix film, Army of the Dead, back with Zach. Pretty keen for that one. We're getting Zach Attack 2.0. Watching it on this big screen as we can find. We have sourced a big screen to watch this. Yes, indeed. So uh, check out the South African Film Festival, which is online. And in person on the 24th at Vincent Responde Junction. If there's any tickets left, um, it's selling pretty well, as I understand it. Paprika's on tomorrow at Mothership Studios, Pink Flamingo Cinema in Marrickville for Static Vision. You can check out the Antenna Documentary Film Festival and SF3 events on Saturday, Silent Film Festival on Sunday, Sequelathon on Tuesday, and Filmonic next Thursday. This has been Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Virat Nehru on 2SCR. Stay tuned for The Sonic Assassin. Have a wonderful night and subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Let us know what you want us to fight about and have a wonderful night and enjoy movies. Good night. Listen to music. Bye.